Welcome back to another edition of Checking In. I am, as always, uh, super excited to have in studio with me Kelly Sherman, President and CEO of Acora Engineering Resources Group. Thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. So, unlike what I usually have, I just let questions and conversation happen. I do have some pre-questions and, and, and again, I'm deviating from the norm, but there's some really important stuff that I uncovered when I was researching and I want to make sure that I ask. Absolutely. Uh, so, Kelly, will you give, um, will you share with us kind of a pre-story uh, to what you do and where you are now I'm I'm really interested in setting the stage for almost that um, that sidelines not in Acora, what you're seeing and where you came from and why building Acora started how it how it came to be right. Can you give us a absolutely? So um, I actually was uh, when I got out of university I went straight into consulting. Mm -hmm. and ended up working for a company called Timberline Forced Inventory Consultants. Mm -hmm. And in my early days, I did that for a year and change. And then I, the consulting space was, was quite intriguing to me. And I ended up training and I jumped from discipline to discipline to discipline. I ended up being a forced inventory expert. Then I got found growth and yield very exciting. I found ecosystem mapping very exciting. In our company, it was not exactly a good thing because I kept jumping from every discipline, but the learning curve kept to be very steep. Then I went to Vancouver Island and worked with a, an exceptional group of leaders there. And that's where a lot of the business background kind of came from. And the group there in Victoria uh, did something called resource analysis, which became sort of my core expertise. But they're also really good, experienced businessmen. And I kind of took them as my early mentors. Mm. Then there was an opportunity to open an office here in Kelowna. So in 2004, myself and Dave Myers opened a first Timberline office in Kelowna. Okay. And um, we actually, Murray Wills was the first guy who actually found us some office space right on Spall Road. Oh my goodness, so, okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. and we ended up taking over most of that top floor. Um, that carried on, and that company there I worked with up until 2010. There In 2010, I was actually the third largest shareholder of that company. Mm. Um, they, around 2008, changed where they were going. And I, I won't use a name, but there was a new CEO who stepped in and change the course of that company. Uh, I was, you know, relatively young at the time, but I did apply for that job. And the interesting part about applying for that job was I put a lot of thought into what I would do if I was running that company. And this high-end CEO came in and did almost exactly the opposite. Interesting. Okay. So... I watched that for a while, and for me personally, um, I was somebody who was trying to invest in, called me a VP Client Solutions, one of his guys, but all of the other people who had joined us, I built a team of 20 here in Kelowna along with a partner, Dave Myers, who came mm -hmm. with me out of Victoria, and eventually a lot of those people were just not treated well. The relationship side of the business, which in reality is everything, the relationship with everything. the people, relationship with the clients, and they didn't get that. And 
when they lost sight of that, they had all the sales guys out in the field trying to sort of brush, brush up sales, as you might do in a software development company, for example. Sure. And then in the background, the people were grinding away. So it came to a point where I realized, okay, this wasn't going to work. And, and the reason I, when I really learned that they were going nowhere was when the model didn't work, they hired all of their other executive friends who all came together. With that same yes. mentality and belief, so continuing to do it. Yeah, exactly. They doubled down on what was missing instead of talking to the people who knew that business really well. So at that point, I had 15 years consulting experience. I was considered a VP in that company. Uh, even though I was the third largest owner, it wasn't a huge percent. But so what we ended up doing, what, and then uh, the lease in our Kelowna office came to an end. Yeah. And I saw it was going nowhere. This company was not going to survive the way they were. Uh, I didn't have the power to sort of recover it because there was a senior leadership rinse. team. Yep. So then I offered to buy the Kelowna branch. And that was not accepted, and they wanted us to, to resign, and then they would talk. Mm. So that led to a series of events where we ended up starting Ecora. So four founding partners came out in 2010 and started Ecora. So I find that so interesting because there's, there's scenarios and situations that, that allow you to see an opportunity and come in. And there's so many nuggets that you gave me out of that. There's that, that those core beliefs and those values and those traits of, of being in the business and, and seeing how others are doing it and seeing a better way. So you had, you had a choice. You could continue staying and knowing that it wasn't going to go well, or you could step up, step out, and then uh, proceed in building out something that you had uh, a great belief in and that recognition through uh, the investment in relationships and people. So I find that, that I love that one. The, the piece that I'm also interested in is as you're standing at that precipice, as you're standing in that moment and you're going to take that leap, you're going to do that, the four of you are going to do this, do can you give me a sense of the of the landscape and and so before before i let you answer that when i look at all of the competencies and all the sectors and everything that you do in acora this isn't a 12 dollar 99 cent widget that we're buying <laughs> at that like these are big 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 dollars big gambles big risks so as you're lifting your head up and you're you're deciding that you're going to go for this what's the competitive landscape like is there a lion is there a leader in this in this space in the province in western canada and canada or was there a void there that you could fill and did you have to get market share did you have to take and earn so i'm really right. interested in that business it was an interesting time because we were right on the tail end of the 2008 recession. Yes. We were still yep. in it. Yep. Right? Yes. The, the move I would have made had I run that company would have been to hunker down, secure your talent, you know, ease off on people who, you know, get rid of some dead weight and then really come out thriving. Yes. So we were at that part of the market where you knew it was going to be recovering but hadn't recovered yet. Okay. So we ended up taking a few, um, myself, two, two I would say, 
highly technically competent people, but two business leaders and okay. two just pure revenue generators. So mm. what we did differently the most was we actually took two other people who are you know exceptional partners and been great um, that were essentially revenue generators. And that really helped us get through and weather some of those as opposed to having to pay every salary from the get-go. And when there was a need, when there was a buying opportunity Mm. you couldn't pass up, we just stopped paying ourselves. Yeah. Because there was four partners, which I think was really a big part of the strength. And there was two pivotal moments that I think really unleashed us in the first start of Ecora. One of them was um, we were in talks while in the Timberline days about buying an engineering firm. I was pushing hard to convince the leadership team that professional services are professional services and that, you know, if we could do the same infrastructure could also support an engineering company, which would also help our environmental team get a bunch of that work that we were interested in getting. So ironically, we sort of got into the engineering to support our environmental team. Um, So then we'd had a deal essentially in the works to buy a company in Penticton called Chesapeake from uh, Brant Howard, who was retiring. Um, so it never happened in the Timberline world. But then in early 2010, in the fall, we reinvigorated that conversation and ended up buying them early in 2011. So in that, in that scenario, you're buying uh, talent, you're buying clients, and you're pi- buying uh, core competencies, skills that you wouldn't, would take years to develop. You're, you're bringing it in, which then allows you to have a revenue center and, and grow a service that is going to complement another division. Absolutely. Yeah. So at that point we ended up buying a company that had both civil engineering and structural engineering. So that's where we got those two disciplines in the engineering space. You so in a single decade and i don't want this to be lost i i hear this all the time uh not just for ourselves but for other companies oh you're an overnight success yes six thousand two hundred and thirty three (laughs) nights of overnight right so usually it's two decades three decades before you get kelly like a single decade in 10 years you guys have gone from your four or your eight to your 200 and you're in eight offices. You have eight communities that you service. So this is not usual and you, you, you ramped up fast. I'm that, that I have so many questions about that. How, how was that intentional? Did you, did you do that on purpose or I, I wouldn't say it was necessarily intentional but it wasn't accidental either so the next thing that happened that was instrumental to our success was timberline going bankrupt mm. so something like that happens it's an opportunity you can't pass up we had watched that company perform we knew where all the talent was so we found a way to hire you know 20 people outside of tim out of timberline Right, We did that mm. by borrowing money, stop paying ourselves, but we knew there was an exceptional group of talent. We knew who they were, who we wanted. So that was the kind of opportunity that we could not pass up. So I would say we, you know, somewhat strategically, but somewhat, you know. Opportunity. I, yeah, yeah. Ready for, for. How many acquisitions have you guys done over the 10 years? 
Um, we've done about five. Okay. But some of them were very small. Yeah. So some of them are, you know, we had our clients in need of mechanical engineering. So we bought a two-person mechanical engineering Sure. Firm, right? More because we needed to make our clients a priority and they couldn't get on the priority list of anybody else. Um, you know, we formed a company. We didn't buy it, but we ended up uh, partnering with someone for our legal land survey company. But our larger acquisitions, the first one was Chesapeake. Then we mm -hmm. purchased a company called Omega, which was also uh, civil and structural engineering in Chilliwack and Surrey. So that was a 30-person company. And, you know, the, the leader of that, well, there's two of them. One of them was retired recently as planned. And the other one is Doug Clough, who's been an exceptional member of our leadership team. And he's great and he lives here in Kelowna now. And that company sort of integrated really well. So that leads me into something that I read, and this is again one of my pre-scripted questions. So there was something that I read uh, or heard in one of your interviews, uh, and I want to know if you can tell me more about this accounts-based marketing move that you mentioned. Uh, oh, it was in the Faces of Kelowna feature, and it was specifically around the service our core clients better with more services rather than more clients with fewer services. So that's the catalyst that has you go out and get that two-person mechanical. So getting those core competencies to be able to lend value to the different disciplines. Exactly. Yeah, so the, the plan there yeah. is instead of us spending marketing dollars on sort of the broad brush approach where we found is that our best bang for our buck is to service target clients better. Mm -hmm. So we pick what we call tier one clients and most of our marketing budget goes into actually doing a better job servicing them. So if we take a group like I'll use um, Asuyas Indian Band, for example, mm -hmm. and Chief Clarence and mm -hmm. his team, right? Amazing, Amazing group, Amazing. a team that you can bet on, right? Yeah. Uh, we've got a partnership with them called Inera. Right, and you know, Chief Clarence is the CEO. Myself and Mike Campbell, their COO, are the directors, and we've been helping them out in all sorts of avenues, helping them secure funding, delivering all of the professional services that we do. So that type of approach there is how we would actually put our marketing budget is investing in key partners or key opportunities. Another one is uh, Ministry of Transportation. They're an excellent client, mm -hmm. so we've got a team who understands their business really well. We make sure they get top-notch service. BC Hydro is another one. Um, another one locally here who's been a great firm is, is Canco, mm -hmm. Canco Petroleum, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. folks like that, they've got all kinds of projects, a really neat group, values align very well. So uh, an example right now, our geotech department is actually swamped. They're so busy, it's incredible. Um, the only clients they're servicing outside of their core clients are our tier one clients. So we'll actually pull them off one of these big BC Hydro projects or MOT projects to service somebody. Mm. Well, it's because we don't have the capacity. Yeah. I mean, we're working hard to grow the group so we can service all of our clients. But while we don't, our top tier clients are the ones who get their services. And that's part of our account-based marketing strategy. So now I can't find, yes, I did find the question. So then that leads me in, and, and again, I have a peek into the window around the culture. Really appreciated the, the comment that you made around really wearing your culture on your sleeve so that it attracts people that hold those same values, those same character traits, because you get a 
you you get a better relationship uh, when you're very transparent in that. So I appreciate I appreciate that, and I I think you know again your your run uh, is only ten well a little bit more than ten years now, and it took me fifteen or twenty years to figure that out because I allowed. Uh, teammates to change the culture and and then you get away from that honoring so so what I'm curious about is um, it is apparent uh, in every industry and sector and vertical that I'm talking to the usuals around onboarding and getting uh, skilled workers are um, very rhythm, rhythmic in their in their um, onboarding and almost predictable. We're in this really weird space right now. So how are you finding uh, getting skilled workers and are you changing maybe <coughs> ways that you would find people, whether it's through acquisitions or um, programs? How are you getting people? Well. Um, I mean, it's a huge part. I mean, to me, that is the challenge. So our yeah. biggest challenge right now, I, when I am, our marketing goes towards attracting talent, re mm -hmm. att retaining and attracting talent. Okay. So, you know, things like when we have a marketing video made, it's all about building out the culture of Ecora, right? And showing people the cool things that we're doing. We just opened our new office and mm -hmm. on Friday afternoon, we'll see that office will open up and it's just a great culture. Actually, it's just now kicking in because the COVID is just tailing off. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But now on Friday afternoons, when you see sort of 30, 40 people, it's spectacular to watch and they're playing in the foosball and pool and the video games, ping pong's coming soon. And, and it's, it's really neat to watch and it's neat to watch the integration of all the different disciplines. And we do something called a, called the Perk Award, and those are our I four core that. values, right? So people, environment, community, and relationships. Mm -hmm. And an example was last Friday, um, some some friends of ours had just bought the Mission Tapos. Mm, and I did see that was for sale, okay. Yeah, and they're the recipient of, we ended up getting one of the pool tables and a shuffleboard table. And one of the guys who came on to help move it, he uh, we, we got it all moved, he accommodated everything. And um, the shuffleboard didn't fit. So it was stuck on the bottom floor. So uh, three of three members actually took it upon themselves to take the shuffleboard table entirely apart, apart. take the doors off, and then found a way to get this 12-foot shuffleboard table into the people place. <laughs> so then last Friday, um, our branch manager had had three Perk Awards issued to these three team members. And then so in the middle of that event, he made the announcement and gave everybody a Perk Award and they celebrated these three people who sort of took it upon themselves to help help do this, right? And then you could see several of the new people who had just joined the team saying, welcome to Acora. And it was really neat the way that culture sort you of see it emanated. Lived. Yeah, and it's, and it's, I'm so glad that it's the people doing it. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and we and on the attraction side, one of our top new people, uh, we hired this lady named Parviz, who's an absolute rock Great star job. people person. Yeah, she's our chief people officer. And, you know, she's got all kinds of creative ideas about how to attract talent, including international talent. 
So we've had a lot of luck pulling people from places like South Africa, New Zealand, mm. and we're even contemplating having offices in some of those locations. So, really? Yeah, the, the people challenge is, is huge, and I, we do tend to be on the right side of that. And you know, as some of the exciting projects get more attention and we get ourselves out there more, the resumes are getting better and better. Mm -hmm. So, and then just Kelowna being what it is is obviously a, a, a very big attraction, and so very uh, big you know. draw. Yeah. So, so on that note, uh, you had you had mentioned uh, choosing leaders that are real people, people, uh, and good. You're good at developing people. I'm curious. Is that, are those people being identified by gut, by um, whatever your process is in your hiring, or do you have a technical tool that, that, they, that tests and returns back traits for match? So it's, I mean, there are the technical tools, and yeah. there's a, a small element of that, but it small. is more of a watching okay. the team evolve, and then it's selecting our people people. And, and what that is really about is we do have technical leads, but mm -hmm. often the people, the discipline's led by a people person, and they have training, and they will work with each individual to try and get them to be, we call it, talk about the best version of themselves, look for their unique talents and see how we can leverage those and make sure they're on a healthy career path. And you know, it, everybody wins when people are sort of doing what they love doing the best everything falls in place and it's really just having the people in those positions who can work with them and find out what those talents are and what their interests are and if that all aligns everything wins and can i flip that then where when there's an identification of an individual that that isn't going to find a successful spot within the organization that that's okay to help them transition out because it's for the betterment of I think Acora all of the uh, people within it but also that individual being in a space of belonging and 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 purpose and and value and absolutely it I mean it's it is part of the business um, mm -hmm. I mean consulting is a competitive space and frankly it's not for everybody and there's nothing wrong with that Mm -hmm. So we have some excellent people that sometimes just aren't the right fit in the consulting space. And it's not like we get, sometimes we'll help them transition and sometimes there's a government position out there that's perfect for them perfect. and they become really good clients, right? So Oh, I find that interesting. That's interesting. So it's again being very respectful in the recognition of that assisting and helping them move into another position Absolutely. And, and not not self-serving that you you sit there and you plan that they're going to get a job somewhere in government ha 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 and it's going to serve you well it's because it's authentic it's real it's genuine you care deeply you want the best for a core you want the best for them and then it naturally i think that's amazing yeah no it's absolutely and we've got some several examples where we've got great working relationships with people who transitioned out of our company this one i'm interested in on your homepage, your mission states very clearly. And I think from the beginning, you wanted to become the most valued and preferred engineering and natural resources consulting firm, period, end stop. Did that exist in day one or did it evolve over time? 
So we actually had our first vision session in 2011. So okay. there was some talk about that prior to starting, but the actual, that statement there was formed in 2011. And the only way it's evolved over time is it used to say in Canada. Oh. And then in 2018, when we had our next round of visions, uh, we did another session where we went to 18. Yeah. Seven year gap. Yeah. Mm. I'm not sure when the Canada came in, but that was when we did our next, well, we did get rid of Canada somewhere in between there. And again, that makes sense when you're talking about global offices Mm -hmm. or potential. Okay. So now, uh, culture. Culture is a big, huge, huge, huge thing within a core, obviously, uh, seems to be to me. If I walked into any one of your eight offices, so I think I think you can feel culture. When you walk in, you can feel the energy. Can I feel the same energy in all all eight offices, or is there a different energy? With, I mean, to be honest, the COVID challenge mm. was that, and and it's really because the. Sh- going to different offices wasn't as much of a thing as it normally is. So we put a lot of effort into making it so you did have the same culture. Um, and so like, for example, last week I was just in our Chilliwack office and, you know, we just bought them lunch and just sat down for a while. We haven't been able to do that for quite some time. We weren't allowed to have a bunch of people in the boardroom, right? Mm-hmm. So we've been doing the best we can using the teams and the remote this technology time. and doing as much as we could. Um, but it was the hardest part to keep intact, and I'm really looking forward to being able to spend more time in different offices. Uh, Penticton office, I would say, is very similar to this office. Mm. Um, Chilliwack's quite good. Our Vancouver office is awesome. So we have a great group of people all over the place. But, uh, you know, on the tail end of COVID, I'll, I'll say in time that will be, I'll be able to answer that with 100% confidence. That, mm. Yes, that will be the case. And right now I think we're probably better than anyone else or not better but I think we'd be on the better end of that but we're looking for I'm really excited about getting that back in place where everybody feels that same energy oh that's so interesting and that's a that's a genuine challenge unless you're like uh, a Lululemon or or a Starbucks and that culture is very much in a playbook Mm -hmm. like it's 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 um practiced and 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 um yeah, practiced each and every day. So Yeah, and I would say one of the things that have happened as we evolved, because we grew rather quickly, is there was a time where everybody knew us and we didn't have to talk about it as much because everybody just knew it. Whereas as we got bigger, you don't necessarily spend time with everybody anymore and it's so much more important to practice it, to document it, to make it part of everything you do. And I'd say in the last three years, it's been a really top priority is to make sure that culture's getting out there. And I think it's 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 going very well. And, you know, and every, every time I'm talking now, I'm talking about that. So it, it, it is a really important element and as we grow, it gets increasingly important. So. And again, I imagine that comes and, and I, I don't want to imply that I think there's an organizational flow chart, uh, but but as you, you know, if, if Kelly's here and we have four people, we have all four people coming to Kelly, but at some point there's, there's not 200 people walking mm-hmm. through your door. So that, that, um, that language that you use, those, uh, those decisions that you make, 
uh, or that Kelly would make, they have to be adopted or understood or practiced at a layer that then makes its way down to everyone because you can't you you can't meet with everybody. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anything uh, that maybe I didn't ask you, Kelly, that you would you would like to share. Uh, one of the things that's probably worthy of note is the relationships we have with our First Nation partners. So it's quite, a, it's quite a unique piece. And I know it's not uncommon for people to say they do that, but I, I know we do it very different than most. So we ended up having, um, you know, and we've got about, you know, over 40 First Nation communities we work with. Uh, we've got six formal partnerships, legal entities that we work very closely with. So that, that is a bit of a unique offering where we really put ourselves in the community. We operate as a partner with our First Nation communities and usually it's their economic development arm and, and really help them succeed. And so. I think I did read that that contributes about 30% of the, the business that Accora does is in our First Nations Indigenous yeah, work. Yeah, it does, but, and it probably opens about 90% of the doors. That's fascinating. Yeah, no, it's really quite interesting because it's and it's a really neat leverage point. And we've been doing it long enough and have enough success stories that the barriers are are gone. So people are sort of asking for our support. And there's a bunch of like-minded businesses that have are aligned because there's several groups that I can vouch for without hesitancy mm. that I, you know now we can go and collectively support a First Nation community and know they're going to be well looked after. So it's it's been really quite a neat journey in itself. And it's and now we're, we're really well positioned to support First Nation partners. So it's quite an exciting opportunity. Kelly, I tell you, it's an incredible uh, time for me to be able to spend with you. I've, I've really enjoyed it. I think you're, you're a company and an organization that I think uh, businesses can peek into and take nuggets from and take ideas from and and make them their own but i think you've traveled an incredible space in 10 years and i um i can't wait to see what you guys do in coming years and the impact that you're going to have on the community and i thank you very much for coming in to meet with us no thanks for having me thanks